Father, would you now speak to us in your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might be transformed, that we might be firm in the foundation which we find in Jesus Christ. Come, Lord, and give us your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. A few years back, my sister and I sat down with her children. Uh, They were probably 13 and 16, somewhere like that. Uh, At the time, I can still picture it, we were in my living room. We sat them down and we wanted to tell them, share something important from our childhood with them. Something that had formed us. Something that had shaped our words and dare say at times shaped our outlook and perspective. We wanted to share with them Monty Python's The Holy Grail. (laughs) Let me just say that it was a wasted opportunity. We were so disappointed as they watched the entire movie with Becky and I spouting out quotes along the way, and their basic response was, eh, and they walked away. And I don't know if you've watched the movie, but there's a scene at the beginning, I think it's maybe the first, it's the second scene, uh, where a man is pulling a cart through the town during the Black Plague. And he is calling out, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. Um, Hold on. Stop it. This is what the movie does, right, if you've seen it. This guy is the undertaker, and people bring out their dead, give him nine pence, and they take away the dead bodies. So one customer brings out a body, And the guy goes, here's your nine pence, and the body begins to speak by saying, I'm not dead yet, (laughs) to which the undertaker looks at the guy and goes, "Uh, uh, he's not dead yet, he's not dead. But the customer says, well, he will be soon, he's very ill, (laughs) to which the man says, I'm getting better. (laughs) It's that phrase that gives me this bright ray of optimism, given our current circumstances. It gives me a bright ray of hope. For years, I've said it when I'm sick. I've said it when I'm learning a new skill. I'm getting better. Now, you might be thinking it's a little risque to quote a scene from the plague while we're facing the possibility of a global pandemic. Uh, I agree. Uh, (laughs) It is a little risque because we all have some anxieties this week about our health, about our response. And its effect on our lives, right? As we struggle to listen for the voices of wisdom, for the voices of prudence, and for even the voices of hope in the midst of all of the cacophony of sounds and voices we hear. And I want to ask this question this morning. What do you do in the face of moments like this? What is the uniquely Christian perspective, and does it give you hope in the midst of crisis? Because in a way, what Jesus is doing in our passage in the gospel is that he's preparing his disciples for the moments of existential crisis that they're going to face. And you can see it there. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know the context. As Jesus has come into the world, as he's come into the ministry, he's bringing the kingdom of God to the world. 
And as our sermon title, sermon series title alludes to, he's turning the world upside down. If you were Jewish, he's turning your world upside down by questioning or fulfilling the law or elaborating on the law, bringing some aspects of a new law. If you are a Gentile, those who are normally outside of the people of God, he's turning your world upside down by receiving you, by making you work, saying that you're worthy, you're worthwhile, you're important. And to those with chronic pain and illness or possessed by a demon, he's changing your world. He's flipping it upside down by healing you. You remember these stories over the last few weeks if you've been here? And when he proclaims forgiveness of sin to the man, the paralytic lowered through the roof. He's flipping everybody's world upside down. See, forgiveness of sin, that's the great reversal of the fate that we all were born into. That is what Jesus' whole life is pointing towards. He's pointing even now towards the cross where he's going to satisfy the requirements of the law, where he will pay the price for our sin, which is death, and he's going to vanquish death when he rises from the grave on the third day. Because And because he rises from the dead, we can say we're getting better. In fact, we are better. That's the truth for every Christian, is that you are better, you are best, you are complete. You are healed. Your future is secure because you have Jesus. And so where we pick up in Luke 6, it's a continuation of this inbreaking reality. You can look with me there that when Jesus comes, your fate, your future, your perspective changes. It is better. And it's moments like these that we're living in right now in America, on earth, that challenges you and me to actually put what we believe into practice. Like never before, we have to put into practice our faith in Jesus' promises and our faith in God. And so we pick up where we left off last week, where Jesus sought the Father's will in prayer. He selected the 12 apostles from the disciples, and then uh, they came down the mountain, and he began to teach, heal, and power the power of God was coming out of him, transforming lives, right? That's where we were when we pick up. And so you can look there in verse 20, Jesus begins to teach with the pronouncing of a series of blessings. These are called the Beatitudes, all right? And so I want you to note three things, a couple things here, three of them, about what Jesus is saying. The first thing when he starts saying blessed is, is that Jesus is turned to whom? He's turned in this great crowd of people to the disciples. And so what he's saying is that he's actually speaking to them. He's looked out on the great multitudes of people who've come a long way to hear and hope what Jesus has said is true. But Luke emphasizes that Jesus turns to his disciples, he lifts his eyes on them, and he gives them this series of pronouncements. As if what he is saying is particularly for them. Now friends, you are Christ's disciples and so when we look in the passage this morning, he says he lifted his eyes and he looked at them, he's looking at you. Does that make sense? That you are his disciples and he is speaking to you. So first, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. The second thing is, I want you to hear about the word blessed. 
There are two Greek words in the New Testament that are translated blessed. The first is eulogo. The first, that word is, means this. It's used in prayer when a worship leader asks God for some blessing that the community is eager to receive, right? So it might be, it's like a petition. Lord, would you bless the sick? Lord, would you bless the children? Lord, would you bless our leaders? That is a uh, a, a, a request of God to provide a blessing. Does that make sense? So that's the first type of first word for blessing, eulogo. The second word that's translated blessed is the one that we find throughout our reading this morning, which is makarios, which is defined not as a wish or to invoke a blessing. So it is the opposite of what the first word means. Rather, it is a recognition of an existing state of happiness or good fortune. So the difference is this, is that uh, Jesus could be saying, blessed are the poor, which if it's an invocation that, Lord, for the poor, would you make them blessed? We might want to become poor, right? Because we want to get the blessing. But it's not. What Jesus is saying, saying is this, is that the state, the spiritual state of those people who are poor and hungry, those who weep, and those who are being disparaged in public. What he's saying is that you are already blessed. You are in a state of good fortune. That is who you are. That is your identity. You are blessed even though you're poor. You are blessed even though you're hungry. You are blessed even though you weep. You are blessed even though people hate you. You're not blessed because of these things, but in spite of them. You are in a state of good fortune. Now, you might be thinking for a moment, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be miserable. Uh, these things sound terrible. What would ever give me a reason to think that I am blessed? And that brings me to the third point. You can look there in verse 22. Jesus is telling the disciples something distinctive about following him. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, when, you, when they spurn your name as evil. On account of what? What does it say there? The Son of Man. Blessed are you when all of these things happen on account of Jesus You are blessed because of Jesus and nothing else. Because of him, you have reason, verse 23, to rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. He has reversed our fortune. See, the entire Beatitudes are an example, are about this reversal. We aren't just getting better, we are better. And if you look at the top, You can see this. Why, blessed are you who are poor? For yours is what? The kingdom of God. You have received the kingdom. Blessed are you who are hungry because one day you're going to be so satisfied, so perfectly satisfied, so abundantly satisfied in the new heaven and the new earth that you will forget quickly about your difficulties. Blessed are you who weep now for you're going to laugh. Ever had that belly laugh among grief? 
how much a relief that is, how much fun that is. When there's a series of woes, these are parallel. These uh, are to the first four things. The four blessings are on one side. The, the four woes are on another. Verse 24, if we are blessed because of Jesus, then we are warned that apart from him, we who are rich, those who don't turn to Jesus, don't receive him, we'll, we'll already have our consolation and reward. We'll have our comfort in this world. If we are full and satiated in this life, we will be hungry in the life to come. And then if we, because of the comforts and joys of this life, laugh now, meaning we have no regard for the need of Jesus, then we will one day mourn and weep. And finally, woe to those who seek the world's accolades, for you will have them, but they're going to leave you empty. What Jesus is telling his disciples, what he's telling you and me today, is what being his disciple means. It means that you are in a state of blessedness even if your circumstances don't reveal it. You're in a state of blessedness not because of the ways and the measurements that the world gives, not based on what you do or have or how you live, but on whose you are. Blessed are you, friends, on account of the Son of Man. Blessed are you on account of Jesus. Blessed are you, Because you know him and he knows you. So he not only reverses your fortune. At some point you didn't know him right in this world. You didn't know Jesus or you weren't following after him. And you were in those woe categories. But he's reversed your fortune. Now you have Jesus or you can have Jesus. And he will make you blessed in every way. Now I think that's important in weeks like this week. Now, you might not be thinking, I'm in an existential crisis. But you know that the world is thinking that they're in an existential crisis, right? Our country, our world, our community, our church, our home, we all face in various ways this crisis, this concern. We all face bizarre, this bizarre times. But the biblical perspective is this. It always tosses the worldly perspective upside down. Because you are blessed in Jesus, you can look at moments of poverty. Perhaps you watched your investments crash this week, or the prospects of your income diminished because of offices closing or things changing. You are blessed. Perhaps you all of a sudden are facing a fear of hunger of watching the shelves empty at the Publix or the, of staple foods. Friends, because of Jesus, you're still blessed. This is the perspective. Perhaps you've looked in your hall closet, looked at your 150 rolls of toilet paper, and wonder if you will have enough. Friends, you're blessed more than most. Perhaps you face the reality of an unknown illness that forces you, all of us, to consider our mortality And it forces us to alter our lives for a little while. Friends, in Jesus, you are still blessed. Yours is actually the kingdom. You already have it. He has kept your life. He is keeping your life secure in him. And he is providing for your life all along the way. It's in these feelings and every feeling in between. You are blessed because of Jesus. Because he has already rose from the dead as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. 
In Christ, you are alive. In Christ, you have the promise of a new body in the new heaven and the new earth. If your life is kept in him, that means if you are trusting in him for your future, for the forgiveness of your sins, if your life is kept in him, by him, then you too will rise with him. Paul says that in Romans 6. So Jesus looks at the disciples. He looks at you and says, blessed are you in every circumstance. Why? Because you are under God's faithful care. Let me say that again. Blessed are you regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what happens in this world, because you are under God's faithful care. And because you are under his care, you and I have no reason to fear. What will you do today? You know, my niece and nephew, they walked away from Monty Python and they're like, eh, that was their response. And I want to challenge you not to do that with Jesus' promises. In this world, we have plenty to be concerned about, to be sure. We support making all the precautions. But ultimately, we only find peace by dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, in dwelling in Jesus. And that's why I thought that the the colic that we said this morning was so appropriate. Now, we picked the topic, but the colic was prescribed for us, right? We picked the sermon series. And I want to close with this prayer, thinking how appropriate God knows our need. Would you listen to this prayer? Let's pray together. Almighty God, You know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.